Good morning. If you're just joining us now online for podcasts or otherwise, I'm Pastor Bryce with Green Street Church here in Hastings, Michigan, and you're joining our worship service in progress. Today we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer, the Matthew chapter 6 version. And I'm going to read the portion of the Lord's Prayer again, this time in the King James Version, because last week we put it in the NIV and you just couldn't say it that way. After this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Father God, have thy will and have thy way with us during this preaching moment and beyond. Help us to feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So starting last Sunday, we began this series on the Lord's Prayer. And how do we use the Lord's Prayer? I have the dubious honor, I guess, of following Pastor Kim. Um, as Carl said, she set the bar high. So I'll try to, I'll try to do that justice. <laughs> how do we use the Lord's Prayer? You know, it's not something I think that we need to necessarily memorize and say as a script. Even though I admit to you, I've used it that way many times over the years when I didn't know how to pray or what to pray, and I have received great comfort from that. But primarily, I think it's, it's an outline of the things that God wants us to speak to him about. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Again, Pastor Kim talked about this last week. Hallowed be thy name. We're to begin our prayers with, well, with praise. Much like we begin our worship with praise and singing and thanksgiving. My best prayers, I think, are songs. Sometimes little ditties I make up. But there's something about praying and singing together that makes it more powerful to me. And following that, thy kingdom come tells us that we should pray for others first. This isn't all about praying for our personal needs, but it's praying for the kingdom of God, praying for churches, praying for Christian workers, praying for missionaries, praying for whatever it is that's going to build the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So now this morning we come to the part where it says, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Now, isn't that just about the lamest way any of us can pray? <laughs> Thy will be done? How uncreative is that? I can see, I can imagine, God in heaven hearing people saying, Thy will be done, and saying, Oh, come on. Here's someone else trying to impress me. I know they want something. Why don't they just say it? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. It's like when my wife and I are going to go out to eat. And we say, well, where do you want to go? I don't know where do you want to go. 
Oh, you decide. No, you decide. Some of you have had this conversation, I can see. No, you decide. And finally, after exasperation, I suggest something. How about this place? And she always says something like, well, if that's where you want to go. Sometimes I wish she'd just say what she wants. Not my will be done. I wish she'd just say what she wants, where she wants to go, what she wants to order, what she wants me to order so she can try it. <laughs> By the way, ladies, men do not like you eating their food. If you want fries, you order fries. Yeah, amen. Amen to that. But I do imagine sometimes God is like that because I imagine God is, unfortunately, like me as an imperfect human. I know God is not really like that, but I can imagine God hearing these die will be done prayers and thinking, how lame. Goodness gracious, can't they just come out and say what they want? And what kind of logical sense does it make for us to pray thy will be done anyways? Isn't God's will going to be done whether we pray it or not? Isn't his will going to be done whether we pray it or not? And then that can lead you to the next illogical conclusion, why pray at all? I mean, if God is sovereign over everything, if his providence rules the universe, why pray thy will be done? If God ordains everything that comes to pass, it's going to happen anyways, right? Well, a strict Calvinist might believe this. Predestination, based on the fact that God is omnipotent. We learn those things in catechism. God is all-powerful, and nothing can occur without his willing it. So everything that happens is his will, even the bad stuff. Even the preordained aspect of human beings, whether you're going to be saved or not, whether you're elect or not, all that's predetermined. That's one end of the spectrum on thinking about God's will. The other end of the spectrum is, well, free will. And by the way, if you were to poll people about whether they believe in predestination or free will. More people believe in free will than they do in predestination, I'll just tell you that. But the idea in free will is that once we're born, obviously we don't have any choice about where we're born, but once we reach some age of accountability, virtually everything in life occurs because of our free choices. Those are the extremes, the predestination and the free choice. Well, I can tell you that I think both extremes are wrong. (laughs) They're wrong. Because it's not what the scripture teaches. It's not what the church has taught since the very beginning. Neither does it make any sense to me, my mind, my human reason. And it doesn't match my human experience. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. That's what John Wesley said about how we know about God. Both extremes are wrong. Scripture. 
It tells us to pray. We read some of those scriptures. Jesus told us to pray. He taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is just one of those things. He said, pray. He even said, pray, thy will be done. As lame as that may seem. Now, I do believe that God predestined some things. There have been enough of those things in my own life, call them divine coincidences, things I can't explain any other way. I do believe God ordains some things, the ends, if you will, like his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. I believe God ordains the ends, but I don't believe that God always ordains the means. The means may adjust along the way, perhaps by our free choices, perhaps by our free choices, as his redemption plan plays out in our lives. And sometimes our free choices get us off track. They get us out of God's will. But to accomplish those ends, I believe God works in and through the prayers of his people. The scriptures tell us this. You know this from your own experiences. You have shared some of those prayer experiences with me. Answered prayers and unanswered prayers. And by the way, towards the end of this sermon series, I'm going to give you all a chance to share some of your prayer experiences. So be thinking about that, particularly ways perhaps that the Lord's Prayer has helped you. But you know, here's the cool thing. Even if God predestines absolutely everything in your life, even if that's true, then that is precisely why we need to pray. (laughs) That's why we should be excited about praying, so that we can become part of his plan, so that we can discern his will. And all of that high theology thinking aside, we should pray simply because We're told to pray. We're commanded to pray. Now, I I don't think the reason we pray is to change God's mind. (laughs) I don't think that's true. I mean, how could your feeble prayer or my feeble prayer change God's mind? What do you know that God doesn't know? If so, what kind of God would God be? (laughs) But if we ask that question a little differently... Does prayer change things? I would say yes, absolutely, by all means, yes. And not the least of which is that it changes ourselves. In James 5, 13 through 16, as you heard it read, we heard that prayer is effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I still have embedded in my subconscious the King James Version of that passage. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It avails much. It does a lot of good. Now, it doesn't do everything. There's no guarantees. But it does much. It does a lot of good. There's so many scriptural examples of that. James lays those out for us. But one scriptural example that comes to mind is from Acts chapter 12. 
You may recall that Peter was thrown in prison and the disciples prayed for Peter and he was miraculously released and he, he shows up unannounced at their door. They think it's Peter's ghost or Peter's angel. But there is a case where it seems clearly the church prayed and, well, it was indeed powerful and effective. But in the very same chapter, the very same chapter 12 of Acts, we have the martyrdom of James. Not James, the writer of this epistle we just read, but James, one of the 12 apostles. We have his martyrdom in that very same chapter. You think the church didn't pray for James? Of course they did. Of course they did. But he was still killed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The fervent prayer of a righteous man is availeth much. But it doesn't avail everything. <laughs> There's no guarantees. But it does much. That's the balance between predestination and free will right there. <laughs> it doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't avail everything. But it does much. It does much good. So our prayers are not always answered the way we want because our wills are not always in sync with God's will. Imagine that. Our wills are not always in sync with God's will, so our prayers are not always answered the way we want. But still we're told to pray, aren't we? Even in this passage, pray for the sick, pray for the suffering. Is any among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church together and pray over them and anoint them. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Well, there's no guarantee. Scripture says that, kind of, but there's no guarantee. Christians pray for Christians who are sick, and some of them don't get well. Even Christians die. Maybe you've noticed that. Even Christians die. Still, we're told to pray. But still, we're told to pray. Because our, our classic perception or our classic understanding that we've been told since we're little kids is sometimes God answers our prayers this way. He says yes. And sometimes he answers our prayers this way. He says no. And while I think that's really an overly simplistic way of looking at God's will, it, we're not changing God's mind. <laughs> it is kind of a good working definition of trying to understand God's complex divine response to our prayers. Still we're told to pray. Verse 15 in the James passage, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. <laughs> it's the prayer in faith that will save the sick. So there's this whole theology that's developed around that. It's out of context, by the way, but this whole theology has developed around that, that if you're not healed, then you don't have enough faith. It's that name it, claim it theology, which is such a gross distortion of the understanding of God's will. When I hear folks say things like that, when I hear preachers say things like that, and I do all the time on the radio, 
then I think God's response to our prayers is, you've got to be kidding me. I wish you'd go back to praying lamely again. Thy will be done. Related to all that, some people even say that it's wrong to pray that if it be thy will or thy will be done. It's a sin. Because God always wills people to be well and to be healthy. That's Christian science theology, by the way. It's the theology of many faith healers. And that erroneous thinking even leads people to say that praying thy will be done shows a lack of faith. It's a statement of unbelief in God's ability and sovereignty. And someone I know pretty well just said that praying thy will be done was lame. Well, here's the problem with that. Jesus is the problem with that. <laughs> that darn Jesus again. He always makes me rethink my thinking. Because that is exactly how Jesus prayed when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it is a lack of faith to say, if it be your will, what does that say about Jesus' Gethsemane prayer? Because it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus went to pray before his arrest, before his crucifixion. And there he prays in verse 42 as we read it, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Now here's something that's really interesting about that passage and the thy will be done phrase from the Lord's Prayer. And I, I got to confess to you, I just learned this this week. This is the fun part for me about preparing a message. <laughs> if you look at the Greek text where Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done. And you look at the Greek text from that Luke passage when Jesus is praying in the garden. It's the exact same words even though it isn't in our English text. It's the exact same words. You see, Jesus didn't merely teach us these words. He used them himself in his own real-life most desperate situation. I often say, don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> well, that's the difference between humans and Jesus. But Jesus can say, do as I say, and do as I do. He taught us to pray, thy will be done, and he prayed it. He did it. When he was in his most desperate moment, because he's faced with his passion, thy will be done, he said. Even though he's sweating blood, I, I love that phrase from that passage, he's sweating blood. Have any of you prayed like that before? With that much passion, he's sweating blood. And he, he comes to God, he says, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, please, God, if there's any other way, if this cup could pass from me. It reminds me of that but if not prayer. I talked about a couple of weeks ago with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, well, but if not, if God chooses, I, we still won't worship your gods. Reminds me of that. Jesus said, if it be your will, then thy will be done. Jesus knew he was about to face death. 
beating, humiliation, physical torture, and he would bear in his own body the wrath of God for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. He didn't want to bear that suffering, so he asked the Father if it were possible. Is there some way I can avoid this indescribable torture? But if not, if it be your will, thy will be done. And notice here that Jesus did not pray that thy will be done prayer in a lame way, <laughs> like so many of us pray. He didn't pray it in a lame way. First, he, he told God exactly what he wanted. He said, if it, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But if not, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Was Jesus praying that an act of unbelief? Did that show his lack of faith? Quite the opposite. It showed his extreme faith, his complete trust in God. Because God's will does not always agree with our will. I guess that's a given. But notice something else really interesting about this passage. In this case, God's will didn't even agree with Jesus' will. It didn't even agree with Jesus' will. So don't feel so bad if you think you don't understand God's will. <laughs> Following our wills rather than God's will has gotten us in lots of trouble from the very beginning. You may recall another garden story. Adam and Eve chose their will rather than God's will. It was their free choice that led them to sin. Unless we blame our sin on their original sin, which was not all that original, know that we have all confirmed that free choice many times over in our own lives. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, wrote in The Great Divorce. He says there's only two kinds of people. There's only two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people that in the end, one of them will say to God, thy will be done. And the other kind of people, God will say to them, thy will be done. Your will be done. <laughs> in other words, Everyone who's separated from God forever, call that hell if you want to, chooses by their own free choice, by doing their own will, rather than God's will. Let there be no doubt that God cares, God listens when we pray. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So yes, prayer changes things, but prayer doesn't change everything. Because God knows what's best for us and for others and for the whole world. As hard as it is for us to understand all of that in our feeble minds. When we pray thy will be done, we are praying for God to do what is best for all. 
to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. And that is the truth of the gospel this morning. And so, you know, when my wife and I are going to go out to eat, and she will not decide where we should go, and says, you decide, wherever you want, thy will be done. You know, when I'm forced to pick, which is most of the time, almost always, pick someplace that I know Eileen likes <laughs> because I want what's best for her. <laughs> and that's exactly the way God is, but way more so, especially when we pray, thy will be done, even though we don't understand it, God wants what's best for us. After Jesus prayed in the garden, that Luke passage tells us that angels came down and ministered to him, gave him a message. Angel means messenger. They brought him a message from heaven after he gave his request to God that this cup would pass. And the angel said, no, your answer is no. Sorry, you must drink the cup. You must drink the cup. And he did it. Praise God. He did it. He drank the cup to the last drop. And in that moment, Jesus didn't just give us the words to pray. He gave us his life as an example that praying the will of God will be done on this earth. Amen? Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we We struggle with understanding your will. But we know that you love us and that your will is always better for all concerns than anything else. Help us to have the courage to speak to you like Jesus did, to tell you what we want, but in the end, to accept your will in all areas of our life. We praise you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.